Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Mole Video Game Showdown where we randomly talk about random games in a random order with random content sprinkled in between. A truly random, fascinating conglomeration of words. I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm talking about F0GX and SSX3. <laughs> we may or may not tell you why we're laughing later in today's episode. Okay, F0GX. Um, developed by Amusement Vision, who I've never heard as a developer before, so hopefully they've done nothing cool other than this game, otherwise we'll be missing out. <laughs> It is a racing game released in August 2003 on the GameCube and got a Metacritic score of 89 out of 100. Shockingly. Wow. I know. Insane. So, it's a follow-up in the F-Zero series. The previous one just being F-Zero X, and now they are GX. <laughs> do we do we have a, a reason as to why that's the name of the sequel? It's a good X. Instead of just X, it's good X. Is or, that actually what? No. Okay. That'd be pretty funny though. I don't. I they. I didn't see any reason why it was called GX, but maybe Grand Grand X or something for the Grand Prix, doing racing games. But like saying Grand Prix in racing games. <laughs> Minus the Prix. <laughs> and just the Grand. <laughs> um, it unlike its predecessor had a story mode, which was heavy on the story, light on the racing, sarcasm, but it was a good story mode. I did like it a lot. So, uh, I guess I'll just talk about the gameplay first. It had a lot of elements that were very similar to Double Dash. This game also has like the cart, uh, different cart mechanics. So like different machines will have different weight, grips, boosts, and durability. And then right before each game, you get to adjust your max speed to max acceleration. So mm. no matter the cart, right, you can max out speed or acceleration depending on I mean, obviously, you're supposed to be doing it on the map. If you're new, you should probably just, like, max out acceleration every single time to be a little bit more generous. So, it's kind of similar. I did like that in every single cart you could adjust the max speed to max acceleration because I feel like in Mario Kart games, it's if you're new or it's a really tough course to do acceleration, but almost every single time, if you can drive a max speed cart on the course and not crash, you just win, right? Yep. I mean, that's just, like the fact of life. So I kind of like that it made it so it's like there aren't, if you don't use like Bowser or something like that, you can still win <laughs> the game. Um, obviously Bowser is not in F-Zero GX in case you were wondering, <laughs> but that would be a pretty crazy addition. Um, so there's also, um, unlike Double Dash, I'm just gonna be comparing this a lot to Double Dash since I just talked about Double Dash as well. And I think a lot of people are familiar with Mario Kart games and less familiar with F-Zero series <laughs> um there's also an energy bar which is like the health of your vehicle and so you can destroy enemy rides which you are not able to do and i think almost i don't know what other racing games can you destroy other people's rides in what what does destroy mean is that like they're out of the race they're out of the race entirely oh i don't know i don't know as many racing games which is why i'm asking yeah. i mean like the the burnout series like takedown and stuff like you can take down cars and there might be a mode where a takedown is permanent but typically it just results in you like resetting like 
or like taking some kind of time delay as, yeah as a result, so yeah like driving off course in other games or well, i guess even in mario right where koopa comes or whatever the camera what is the camera person's name lakitu is it lakitu mm-hmm. that sounds right so yeah kind of cool that you can destroy uh carts it's definitely a tactic i've used in games or like in races in that game to just be like if it's a really frustrating race or it's like a really tight course Sometimes it's best just to throw on the murder face initially and just take some people out as fast as humanly possible. They have spin attacks and then you also damage just ramming into them. But if you're not attacking, I think it's a pretty like even damage mapping. So I think you should be trying to attack if you're going to do it. Or if you just really want to risk it all and see who has like a faster damage ratio or something like that. I don't, it's, it seems a little too risky. But yeah, so cool that you can do the damage. And then after the second lap, you can use your energy to um, boost. So I like that. It's a, it's a fun trade-off where it's just like, you know, if you're right at the end of the race and you have a little bit of energy left, but you're right next to someone else, it's like you could try boosting, but if they end up attacking you right when you boost or something like that, you might be forfeiting um, the entire race. And depending on, if you're doing like Grand Prix, you'll get X amount of lives to restart a race. But um, yeah, depending on, yeah, just depending on how many lives you have left, I mean, it's it's kind of annoying to go through an entire race again, especially if it's a hard one. Um, that is definitely, from what I read, the most outstanding complaint of the game was just it was too difficult. And so if you're not going to be a hardcore F-Zero GX fan, it's hard to get into. But everything else um, was received, I think, really well. It, I, I know it was received really well because I read the, re- <laughs> the reviews. Um, all of them. <laughs> word for word, memorized. So... So yeah, ju- okay, just like uh, just like Double Dash, it also it has a Grand Prix mode, which like, I don't, you know, any Nintendo fucking racing game is gonna have a Grand Prix mode, right? Just going racing through different tracks, um, series of tracks, to go through a Grand Prix, the most amount of points that you have, you end up winning if you have the most. But it also has a story mode, which as I mentioned, first in the F Zero series. So in the story mode, it'll be like you're either racing your rival or Captain Falcon's rival arch nemesis or doing normal races like street racing you get to go through some of his like training regimen which is just racing because how do you get better at racing other than just racing more i don't i mean it's not like you're like doing push-ups or something though that would be hysterical if they added that in the game um i mean there's definitely a physical component for sure but like what racing game is going to add that in that would be ridiculous (laughs) Uh, maybe in the future though, like as, as more AR games are coming out, you, you have to do the pushups to like train your person or something like that. Oh my gosh, that would be incredible. That, that seems like a Grand Theft Auto thing to do. Yeah. Like just absolutely obnoxious attention to detail that <laughs> is not fun to do, but they did it because it's real. Yeah. If honestly though, like if they were going to make you do pushups, unless they had some visual thing, I would just like move the controller up and down, right? Oh, like they bring it back to sense. Xbox Connect, baby. Oh no, 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 no. That was horrible. <laughs> um... So, yeah, and then uh, you can also, there was, like, one race I remember where you're taking out, I mean, you're pretty much racing against, like, an entire gang. You're trying to kill one dude in the gang, but, I mean, throughout the race, you're killing a lot of people. Or destroying their ships. Who knows if they die or not? I mean, if you're looking at the maps, you're definitely going to die. I don't really, a lot of the, it's very futuristic, so a lot of times you're, like, racing, like, through a city, but you're very high up in the city. Like, the racetrack is pretty much above the city, so if you fall off your ship, I don't think, I think the idea of the carts is it always seemed like you're, like, floating on the racetrack. Like, the racetrack is, like, an energy field or something that's pushing your cart up, 
So I don't think if you're a human, you're going to get energy pushed up. So I think you just fall through to your death. But it's something that I haven't read anything about. That's just my hypothesis after playing the game. Um, always thought it was a little brutal. Like, you're literally racing. And if you mess up at all, you're dead <laughs> forever. Um, but hey, that's that's what real racing is like. So credit to them for the realism. Yeah, stakes are high. Yeah. Every race I see, someone dies. That's not true. But it would be insane if it was. Yeah. I mean, especially, like, actual real-life car racing. Like, in, they've, they've made a lot of modifications to older tracks to prevent that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Le Mans had a fucking, like, straight-up straightaway that just went on forever. But they've added, like, turns into the straightaway now to, like, force you to slow down. Um. Um, do some other thing. They do that a lot of tracks. That's a very common thing. Is like where it used to be an incredibly high speed or high speed corner. They'll like they'll they'll add some obstacles or some sharp turns in order to force the pack to slow down. But, yeah. So it. I mean, for sure. And I mean, car safety was not very good. So there there were a lot of driver deaths back in the day. Yeah. F one added the halo last year or two years ago, which a lot of people really don't like it. Like instead of having the open cockpit, there's like a piece of. I, I carbon fiber probably or something like that that comes up over the the head and then makes a little halo around the top of their head presumably just to protect in case like the car flips over or something like that because yeah I mean if the car flips over the helmet really isn't gonna do you a whole lot <laughs> if your head is bearing the weight of an entire race car like that's why they do all those neck exercises <laughs> <laughs> like uh yeah Either way, racing is dangerous. I'm certainly not trying to be insensitive to that. But racing in F-Series GX takes it to a whole new level. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, God, that's horrible. Um, Yep, 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 yep. I kind of forgot where... Oh, no, I'm just... You can keep cutting stuff out. (laughs) Uh, Other... So... Also similar to Double Dash, I guess. So there's there's energy pads for you to refill your energy. There's no other way for you to refill your energy. There's also boost pads, which I don't really... I guess there's boost pads in like the newer Mario Karts. and the older ones, I don't really remember there being boost pads unless you're going off jumps, I feel like. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they didn't do... Because right in F-Zero GX, they're like restoring your energy, which is like your health. Yeah. So, I mean, there's boost pads in Mario Kart for speed. Yeah. It doesn't. They're not as necessary. Yeah, not definitely not as critical. And it's also a, a cool mechanic when you're playing with friends, right? Because you can also like knock your friends off the energy pad or something like that um, to try to mess them up. But yeah, so they they have the energy pads, they have the boost pads, they have some jump pads, which the jump pads are definitely. Uh, there's like certain courses where if you're really going to be trying to like race for like a top speed or something like that, you're going to try using the jump pad to like you'll cut a corner of the course, and if you mess up, you fall off, and then you die and you lose the entire race, so it's, like, very cutthroat yeah. um, racing. But it's definitely... I understand, I guess, the criticism of it being difficult. There's definitely a big learning curve to the game, but I think that's what made it... I don't know. I I, I like. I definitely like some difficult games. I think the there has to be a certain amount of base difficulty to keep me in longer, right? Like, that. just if it's too easy to pick up and go, there needs to be some learning curve to go through. Otherwise, it's like, okay, well, like, I kind of figured this game out. And now, you know, there's no more challenge, nothing to keep me engaged. So I like that a lot. It was definitely, it's an incredibly fast-paced game. Like, first time playing it, it was just like this game needs to, like, run it, you know, half speed or something like that for me to understand what's going on. Because it is, it is just a really, really fast and intense racer, especially with all the mechanics that they throw in there. 
with like the energy and stuff and every time you collide you just see your health going down you're like oh god when's the next energy pad i'm gonna die so yeah very intense gameplay there's also a decent amount of customization that you could do where you can like essentially pimp your ride if you will you can like throw on like custom emblems and stuff which don't do anything but make your car look cooler which makes you faster that adds more power baby that does add more power and you can customize the car a little bit i don't really i don't remember doing a whole lot of like car customization because i don't think it really gives you i don't remember giving you that much of an upper hand but i definitely messed around with the design of the car like making the car look how i want to and throwing on you throw on like emblems and stuff like that to make your car look cool so i enjoyed that feature a lot definitely like car customization i can't think of a racing game around this time period that had anything like that can't think of anything that had like a story and the grand prix and the energy level like i don't know it just it was a lot of features that i do not recall really seeing at the time and definitely i feel like futuristic racing games also don't exist now i couldn't i can't think of a futuristic racing game right like there's just a lot of games are like I mean, they're unrealistic because they're arcadey, right? But they're still generally bound by like the real like world laws, you know. I don't know. It's just it's a lot less freedom with modern racing games. So, I think that's a part of the reason that the whole F Zero series stands out a lot because it is. I mean, it just allows them to do whatever they want, right? It's a lot more freeing than playing like, you know, Forza or something, which I enjoy a lot. Forza is very good. I guess the crew is probably the most unrealistic, not just because of the terrible driving physics, I will not bash that, but like you can just change from a car to a boat to a plane to a motorcycle whenever you want. Well, I assume you can't change the boat whenever you want, but... You can. <laughs> Even on like ground? Yes. Do you just stop? Yeah. <laughs> so do you have to like jump into water and then change as you're jumping into water? Is that just the whole... I mean, yeah, that, that's typically, like, what people do is... I mean, if you're trying to do it, or, like, you, you turn into a plane, and then as you're flying over the water, you change into a boat. Yeah. But, it, yeah, you can change into anything at any point. I didn't know that. I figured it through some type of limitation to make it maybe a little harder to accidentally go into, but... But, but yeah, I, I, I think as far as, like, kind of the kart racer, arcade racer like that, that that's certainly true. I mean, that... This came out around the time of like Need for Speed Underground series and stuff, so customization was certainly a very large part of those games. But as far as like having the powers and the abilities and um, like thirty, like the, the fact that they have thirty people at one time in a race, yeah, that when I saw that, that blew my mind because I I can't think of another game off the top of my head where you're, you're racing that many people other than like a more official like sim racer where there there would maybe be thirty cars in a race. Uh, but even then, back then, I mean, graphically, you were just kind of limited to how many AI you could have in a race, too. So, yeah, 30, 30 in a race is pretty incredible. Um, and again, like today, there's like Trackmania, um, which is kind of a, a crazy arcadey, but it's still like the cars more or less kind of behave like reality. Like it's kind of ridiculous. And like Forza Horizon 3 had the Hot Wheels expansion. So you're like driving around Hot Wheel tracks. That was stuff. so fun. It was, it, that it was, was an amazing fun. expansion. Um, so, so the, yeah, there's elements, but F-Zero GX kind of blending all that together. Um, the, the thing that I think is coolest about the game, and I, I haven't played this, but the, the energy is just such a brilliant... I think important thing about every gameplay mechanic is to have a trade-off to mm -hmm. using something or some kind of disadvantage. Um, and that is just such a brilliant... And similarly, changing your max top speed, max acceleration, like you, they're truly opposing 
things that you need to determine and you can use wisely and just adds a level of strategy to the game that is just not always present like in mario kart you're pretty much like just stay out of first place so you don't get a blue shell and if you really feel like it just wait until the last lap and always be in last place and get the good power-ups and then win the game yeah like there's not much strategy involved there i mean once you get to like higher levels we're talking like playing with your friends not like pro series i mean yeah but that's still really annoying how one of the things that i definitely always don't like about mario kart is that being in first place is a detriment yeah and it's like if you are just out racing and outclassing your opponents then that should just be like the fact of the matter like you shouldn't i don't know you shouldn't be like handicapped because you are doing better right i mean i'm not against like they're just being crazy items that are super strong but i don't know maybe put some defensive items or something in there to help you at least like counteract like yeah if you're in first place and you get blue shelled you were and especially if it's the third lap you're gonna have a hard time coming back from that and winning which is like it's a yeah it's just annoying reading every single Mario Kart form and they're like the true way to win is to stay into like yeah second or third place <laughs> to the very end or stay in last place until you get like the the bullet bill or whatever and then you like race up and then you just use the bullet bill the last second to like just blast through everyone it's just it's very it's very uh, like cheeky mechanics or something like that it's yeah it takes it takes away a lot of the racing element I think to it it makes it I mean maybe a little more balanced if you want to call it that, for a wider audience. But F-Zero GX, to me, rewards you for being good, right? Like, Because then if you are in first place, you just boost all you want. You don't have to worry about running into people. And you can keep capitalizing on your lead if you're doing really well, where you know if you are struggling or you make some mistakes and you're in the pack, then you have to do that energy trade-off of like how much life do, do I need to keep on to stay alive versus how much boost do I have to do to get into first place. Yeah, that's it's a rubber banding, and it's a it's a common complaint in a lot of racing games is they rubber band the AI, which can help you if you're not doing as well. That the AI can't get a substantial lead on you. But similarly, if you are outclassing the AI, and like if they like crash, and you're now like thirty seconds ahead of them in the race, thirty seconds later they're right behind you. And yeah, like that's not feasible. Um, that doesn't make sense. Mario Kart and a lot of car races like that just do rubber banding to keep the pack close together and the idea behind it is to make it more exciting and like there's always some different things like that but yeah when you want kind of that more pure racing experience of just skill um yeah that that can be hard it can definitely be a little frustrating um also fun fact before i forget to mention uh this game was developed on the same engine that super monkey ball was developed on which i find a little unbelievable, but I'm not very familiar with engines. It just sounds really clowny to imagine if you have this, like, platform, you're like, let's develop a game with a monkey rolling in a ball or a futuristic high-speed tech racer. Um, not, not the two games I'd be, you know, looking to compare for an engine, but still kind of cool. Super Monkey Ball, obviously, a very unpopular series. Fairly poorly adored by the entire world. <laughs> so... Yeah, that is F-Zero GX in a nutshell. Mostly talked about the gameplay. I started playing F-Zero GX because of my brother. He really wanted to play the game. And, I mean, at the time when you don't have a whole lot of games, it's not like now where, like, if I want a game, I could buy it or something like that. You know, I don't I don't have the freedom, the monetary freedom yeah, just to do yeah. it ever. So it's like, you know, when you're a kid, your game library, uh, you, I explored the entire game library because there's only so many games to explore and you get 
Like, you play one single-player adventure, it's not like I'm like going to be like, oh, I'm going to play Uncharted 4 50 times this week. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you beat it once, and you kind of want to break from the story. So, I don't know. Enjoy it. Give it credence. The other game I'll be talking about is SSX3, developed by EA Canada. It's a snowboarding game released in October 2003, and I played it on the PlayStation 2. I started playing the game because of my siblings. I believe both of them actually wanted the game. I don't entirely know why my sister... I don't entirely know why my sister wanted the game, or at least that... I mean, I, I recall both of them wanting it, and so they kept asking my parents for the game. And so the reason we were laughing earlier is apparently when my siblings asked, my parents heard S-E-X-3 instead of S-S-X-3. And they were like, we are not going to buy it. <laughs> sex3 i don't know how there's three installments in the, the sex title series but i guess there's just enough new moves or something like that there's there's uber tricks just like ssx3 <laughs> that get your adrenaline going or something like that um but yeah so they uh, it took an unnecessarily long time to resolve that auditory discrepancy i have no idea why but i remember it being I mean, a multi-day event of trying to explain that it is not Sex 3. <laughs> Which maybe I should just call that <laughs> the game Sex 3 from now on, just to, <laughs> just to really keep the longevity of that story. So it's a snowboarding game where, shockingly, you snowboard down a mountain. It follows up on the series from SSX Tricky, which was released about two years before. So started developing SSX 3 after that. It has three peaks in the game, and each peak has, I think, around three to four courses that you can go down. And per traditional any racing titles, right, you got racing events where just running down each course as fast as possible, trying to get first place. There's also slope style where you run the same course, but you're trying to maximize the amount of points that you get through doing tricks. The trick system gives you more points and then also gets you adrenaline and so you're filling up your adrenaline bar doing more tricks once you max out your adrenaline bar then you can do uber tricks which are just fancier tricks they look really cool at least i thought they looked really cool at the time i mean maybe they look horrible now i don't, I don't know uh and then once you are able to start doing ubers you essentially like get a secondary section to your adrenaline bar and you can max that out and then you can do super ubers so you're in the air and you're like chaining all these uber tricks together trying to essentially maximize how many tricks you're doing in the air without crashing because when you crash you lose all your adrenaline and have to restart over from square one they also have a penalty system where you can't just repeat the same tricks over and over again so definitely certain uber tricks have different i guess like cast timings i don't really know what else to call them so it's like you want to spam the ones that are the fastest to cast right but you can't do that because otherwise you're just going to get less and less points so if you're trying to maximize it out, you kind of like figure out, I remember you like figure out essentially the amount of tricks that you have to do between each trick, right? Yeah, there's a full circle where then they don't count it as a repetition or doing it too recently anymore. So yeah, you're like trying to like, you know, gamify, figure out the system through trial and error to figure out how to maximize your points. So yeah, slope, slope style, or I guess the, the point mode, you can either just go down a course. They also have a half pipe event same idea of winning just maximizing the amount of points and then big air which is like the classic when you think of like the skiers jumping off the insane jump 
So there's two jumps, and you're just trying to maximize your points off of that. Which that one, I don't believe, I don't recall, they didn't start you off with full adrenaline. So, like, at the beginning, I'm pretty sure I remember trying to, like, I'm trying to do all these tricks to get my adrenaline up, but I'm, like, standing in place. So you're, like, trying to, like, figure out how to, like, not move, but also get your adrenaline up so you can do Ubers as soon as possible to get as many points. So, yeah, the gameplay, the whole tricking system was really fun. It looked really cool, made you feel really flashy. Uh, Definitely ran very smoothly. The mountain looked great. A lot of critics really complimented their, like, particle effects and they had a bunch of different ways of like they had a bunch of different snow animations or like snow styles i guess i don't know how to describe it much better than that but essentially it wasn't just like they had like one look for snow everywhere and it was the exact same so it made it look really realistic for a game of 2003 i mean if you looked at it now i'm sure it'd be like haha nice try god of war 2018 <laughs> I mean, as far as, like, photorealism, obviously the, the like, polygon counts and stuff can't keep up with today. But watching gameplay from it, um, I mean, it, it still looks incredible. I still got, like, a sense of awe from just, like, the the scope and the size of um, the environments in which you're in it. And they seemed surprisingly varied as well. Um, so I, I think they did a good job yeah. on that. And I, I'm not into snowboarding or nor have I played SSX3, and it, it made it look fun. It, it gave me, like, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater For sure. vibes. For sure. Um, which which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Also another great game. Getting remastered. So, stay tuned. Because <laughs> we are going to talk about it. I guess we will, now that we said it. Why not? Yeah, we have to. <laughs> That's Fired by law, baby. So, yeah. The uh, normal non-surprising i guess array of game modes they also had free ride which i really like free ride it allows you to free ride on the mountain it allows you to start anywhere on the mountain and the way that they set up the mountain is essentially i mean each peak that you go on to is a little bit higher it's a little bit steeper a little bit more complex courses but consequentially because you are you know going up the mountain allows you can start at peak three ride the top of the mountain and then snowboard down for like it's like a 40 minute course or something like that i don't remember exactly how long it is oh but it is cool that you can you know just string you know a bunch of runs together there's also a lot of options like there's i think only one run from peak three going to peak two where there's two that go from peak three to peak one so you know there's there's, you know choose your own adventure (laughs) when you're snowboarding down the entire mountain which i really liked it, it, it's a fun enough game to play that it's kind of nice to just like not have to constantly reset the course and just be like, okay, I'm just going to sit down for 30 minutes and just ride down the mountain and, you know, play all, play all the way down. So good, good open world aspect. There's also like no loading screens between them, which would have been really annoying and really ruined a lot of the effect of the open world. So nice that it just one continuous experience as you're going down. No loading screens? Are you talking about PS5 and Xbox Series X? I mean, not wrong, baby. Hmm. I'm talking about most of the gameplay. It is a snowboarding game. Yeah, snowboarding game. Definitely started playing because of my siblings. Really enjoyed the gameplay. Super fun to play. I know this one's a little bit more truncated than uh, F-Zero GX. I feel like F-Zero GX did a lot of maybe more novel things. I mean, one of the criticisms was, like, or one of the more negative reviews said it did as much as it could do for a snowboarding game, but it is still just limited by the fact that it is a snowboarding game, which I think is maybe 
maybe underselling it a little bit. Uh, I thought it was very fun to play, very exciting to play. So it was cool maps. Like it obviously is not realistic at all. So you're getting just like crazy air and jumping unnecessarily high. So it, it's very unrealistic, which makes it very exciting to play. Like if it was an actual, just legitimate, like realistic snowboarder game, sure. That probably wouldn't be fun unless you're a diehard snowboarder. But this one is very, very arcadey and very like gamified to make it very fun. So I don't know. Do I really want to talk about this much more? We talked about this for about ten minutes of talking. I guess there's also money in the game. You can bring up the money. Money in the game, so you can do character customization, buy new outfits for your character, you can buy new music, new in-game content, and then also like I'm pretty sure you can buy like developer drawings and stuff like that like artwork that was used in the creation so you can get a little bit more of the backstory which felt like a very common thing at the time and now that i'm thinking about it's something that definitely has not felt like it's propagated through to now like i feel like around that era there was a people released a lot more content that was like you know behind the scenes or in the making of and i know that there is like on youtube and stuff but it's not embedded in the game for sure anymore and i feel like you're really only going to get that with like triple a titles at least something that's good and in depth like the last of us i think both of them have like the steel box right where you get you know like the book and stuff with it or god of war that has like the hour-long documentary on youtube where you get to watch you know the whole behind the scenes which are super cool to see but it, it, it stinks a little bit that it's like it's not like these like smaller studios aren't putting in as much time per person right developing but you don't get to see all the side effects of their work like there's going to be lots of things that you'll be creating and scrapping along the way so like Hollow Knight love Hollow Knight <laughs> shout out Moss Bag again because <laughs> why not so yeah definitely cool cool thing I think to include in games a little sad that it's not there anymore wasn't like a you know game breaking feature wasn't you know wasn't blown away by it at the time but a little sad that that isn't around anymore so the decision time i am gonna have to go based on how long i talked about each game and pick f0gx because that was my guess for you i talked about that way longer mostly because there's a lot more in-game elements but that was also SSX was fun, for sure. But F Zero GX was, I don't know. It was a compelling racer. It, it wasn't. SSX definitely got it. It got to a point where it was like you kind of figured out how to play the game, right? It, the, the, I guess the learning curve just wasn't. Maybe it's all. Maybe I'm only about the learning curve. But the learning curve wasn't steep enough. You know, there's like a certain point where it's just like you beat all the AI and you can beat them reliably, and it's a little too, you know, like it, it's fun to play. I enjoy playing it with like my siblings and stuff like that. Like I always enjoyed playing with them, but the single player experience definitely doesn't last as long. Where F Zero GX was fun to race over and over again, and definitely, I mean, even almost through design, it's like you're kind of rewarded for like memorizing the courses and learning all the turns and shortcuts and stuff like that. Where in SSX there are shortcuts, but they're not really required to win, and most of them are. I don't know. It's like it's they're like very I don't very like gamey shortcuts i guess where it's like you're like going off in the secret area where like f0gx i don't think has those it's a lot more just like skill-based shortcuts where it's like if you know how to execute this jump boost combo at the same time you can get this edge at the you know a certain time or something like that so i think the learning curve and the 
yeah, the complexity of the game really lend itself to F Zero GX standing out a little bit better as a title than SSX Three. Falcon Bunch. So Captain Falcon wins again. I guess that that beat neutral really just demolished the competition. <laughs> so my first game. Well, today we'll be comparing <laughs> first my game first game. <laughs> Spyro: Year of the Dragon and Rise of the Tomb Raider. Two games. Years apart, yet today we talked to them at the same time. Spyro is, the fan base behind Spyro is absolutely insane. And I don't mean that in like they're crazy, but when people play Spyro, they go hard in the Spyro paint. I mean, they are... I don't want to say I'm included in that. You are definitely included in that. But I'm included in that. For sure. Uh, Yeah, like... Adam, Adam's the same way. Adam goes very hard in the Spyro paint and is very in love with Spyro. I can name I can name more people than that, but I don't need to because it's true. <laughs> I mean, literally, it is true though. Yeah, people who play Spyro are absolutely insane for it. I feel like if I didn't play, I feel, it's a, I mean, it's a platformer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if I didn't play Super Mario sixty four, I should have just gone to Spyro. That probably should be like your introduction to like basic games. Like you should probably start through a platformer in Spyro or a Super Mario game. Probably a good one to go through. But yeah, just just thought I should say that because yeah, people, the Mario love is definitely replicated with the with the the Spyro franchise. People people who love it are absolutely insane for it. Not that I have Mario everything, including a Mario tattoo on my booty. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. <laughs> but yeah, Spyro. Amazing. Which Period. Spyro is it? Year of the Dragon. So this is number three in the series. Um, developed by Insomniac Games, um, who, who developed the, the, the two before that. There were a bunch in the series following this, but this was the last one that Insomniac Games developed. Um, Insomniac went on to develop Ratchet & Clank following the development of this game and ultimately they actually developed the most recent spider-man ps4 experience so oh really yeah they developed some they do quality content they do the most recent ratchet 2 i believe so yes so if you haven't seen the maxwell who showed me the ps5 like some of the clips from the release event the new ratchet and clank i've never played a ratchet and clank and that game looked unbelievable I mean that was insane. Like for a for a console experience, I that watching that was like okay maybe getting a console makes sense because now it sounds like some of this might not be afforded to PC gamers at least right away or not without like really expensive hardware. I that, forgot exactly. That, that's like, probably the biggest thing is that PCs will one hundred percent be capable of playing at or having console this next gen experience. Um, and do it better even, but the, that requires buying like new hardware and getting access to this. Like right now, both new consoles will have ray tracing, but right now that's locked behind having to buy an RTX card from NVIDIA. Which um, had a host of problems, at least on release. I mean, it sounds like they've smoothed that a lot of them yeah. now. But... I mean, it was a brand new technology, so yeah. that's that's understandable, but that that's the only way you can access it now. We'll see what the new graphics card is coming out, so the... Both new consoles are running um, AMD graphics cards. So what AMD, when they release their their PC versions of this, will likely have very similar features um, and perhaps at an affordable price point. So it, it may come into that, but it would also involve 
a new purchase of, of PC hardware, just like you'd be buying a console. Yeah, um, and it sounds like you won't definitely you'd be paying less to get that from a console experience than you would a computer. Yeah, and, th- and then it goes back to the argument of like PC versus console. Like, well, PCs can do more things, and like, what what do you want? Like, I mean, if you already have all of the PC supporting hardware. You just need to swap out a graphics card. It's going to be about the same, if not cheaper, than buying one of the new consoles, likely. So yeah, maybe that would be great. But a lot of people probably would have hardware that limits the graphics card, um, like myself. I mean, I only have a, quote-unquote, only have a four-core CPU um, from Intel from a couple years ago. So it's starting to... Three years ago now, right? It's 7,000 series? Yeah, Yeah, wow. Yeah, 7th gen. So, I mean, still a, a, a phenomenal gaming CPU, but, but it's getting to the point that, like, I, a lot of people don't have things that are even that modern. So you start going back, if you have a dual core, if you have a much older um, architecture on your CPU, um, maybe it's just getting more tired, you're trying to overclock, it's it's heating up more often. So it, it it's a whole thing. PC gaming versus console gaming. Either way, next it looks next-gen... The next got you excited for next gen and what games can look like in the future yes and i have been a, a a pc fan for sure for a while now uh mostly due to my brother who is a pc fan and didn't build a pc until very recently not calling you out but I, you're like he's like the reason i built the pc and then he didn't even like build his own pc <laughs> right like he i mean he just doesn't game very much so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him but yeah, always, always thought that was kind of funny that he's like the reason that I got into PC gaming, which I feel like the, the I guess the thing that really excites me is like when I was building the PC, people were always like, oh, you can build a computer that's going to give you the same, if not better for about the same price point, which I feel like was maybe a, a little overstating in my opinion. I, I find that you can't really like, like the Xbox 360 you know what was like 300 bucks or something like that upon release i maybe for three for 300 dollars, there's no way that you can build a computer that at that time that was going to compare unless like computer prices were insanely cheap at that time but you know i started looking at computer parts around the xbox one and it's like i can't build a 400 dollar pc that is going to compare with xbox one titles that that to me is just factually inaccurate like i just don't understand i built like a 700 or so dollar pc which i think m- maybe i assume would nudge out probably the xbox one a little bit but i don't feel like it's like it it, it would definitely outclass the xbox one but i don't think it's like leaps and bounds i definitely think that like if you're doing a price to performance ratio the console still i think it had its worth well the the other beauty of consoles is it's a it's like a closed system so when you're developing for it everyone has the same thing so you can optimize a lot better than you can on pc but the other thing to remember too is consoles often have reduced graphic quality. So even though they might be putting out, well, oftentimes only 30 frames per second, um, but even then at reduced graphic settings, like your PC can do 1080p, like ultra, oftentimes at 60 frames per second. So it, it definitely outperforms consoles. I mean, but but you did also pay twice the cost of a console for it. So yeah, yeah. I just I. Fun. I think it was overstated in the past, uh, but this this next gen I don't think is I don't think it's overstated now. I think to get what, I mean maybe maybe my architecture being three years old maybe I'm just super far behind the curve. But I, I don't know those, those games looked crazy. I hadn't seen anything like that, and just the sheer amount of things that they were rendering on the screen at one time, 
I mean, I play League, so I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised that I'm blown away by anything that comes up on a, on a screen. But yeah, that was that was insane. After seeing some of that, uh, I'll have to I'll have to play a new AAA title and see what happens. But yeah, either way, long tangent, and just I don't even know how he got into it. Ratchet oh, because I asked about the new Ratchet yeah. Plank. Yeah, it's a spiral. <laughs> Yes, Spyro You and Dragon, developed by Insomnia Games, um, released in October of 2000 on the original PlayStation. Um, and as we stated earlier, it is a platformer, um, and it was kind of Sony's answer to Mario. Um, that's kind of what it did. And it, back in, in the original, again, we stated is the third in the series, and kind of Insomniac's like swan song to Spyro, kind of the last thing that they felt that they could do and still kind of innovate and have exciting new content with Spyro. And they, they re- developed and released it, I believe, under a year or, or just about a year. Like, mm. the, the first three Spyros were kind of back-to-back. Like, Sony kept saying, like, all right, let's let's go. Um, let's do this quickly. And they got a lot of help um, from Mark Cerny, who is now, like, the lead system architect for PlayStation, um, but has been a gaming executive for a long time, and he's the one that kind of, like infused insomniac with the ability and the connections with sony and got them to publish uh, this successful uh, franchise so so that's pretty cool um the the name spiral year of the dragon was given because the year 2000 the chinese zodiac it was the year of the dragon um, which is just kind of a a cool coincidence and makes the game super cool and they kind of introduced that into the story um the so every 12 years in the game, there's the year of the dragon where there's a bunch of new dragon eggs um, are brought into the world, and all of a sudden the dragon eggs are stolen, um, and Spyro starts to chase after him, and he ends up in this new world that used to be inhabited by dragons, and now it's ruled by this evil sorceress and stuff who's claiming that the dragons, um, I need the dragon eggs for magical powers, and later you find out that even that was a farce. Like that's already a bad thing. Um, but the person who's helping the sorceress steal stuff eventually realizes the sorceress's true motivation, which I won't spoil, um, but that, that turns her against the sorceress, and then you, you kind of continue. So the, the whole game, the, the main goal is to collect dragon eggs, um, and in the different hub worlds and individual, there's like over 30 like game levels um, you're, you're trying to collect. There's usually five or six eggs in each level, and oftentimes you get one just for beating the level, and then there's hidden ones. There's certain challenges in the levels, um, and it, it can be kind of exciting. But that, that's kind of the main motivation is you're just trying to collect the eggs and eventually get to and defeat the sorceress, and that, that's kind of the main story behind it. Um, the, the thing that they added in this game um, was the ability to play. They have these little mini-game levels where you're playing as side characters. So they, Insomniac Games thought, okay, instead of just trying to innovate and create new movesets for Spyro, um, which would probably just be too busy and too much for a player to remember and get complicated in platforming, they, they added different characters and different levels. So each of these characters, so there's like a kangaroo, um, so you're like, you can jump high and kick. There's a, a penguin that has a jetpack that can shoot rockets. Um, you play as this little monkey that has like a laser pistol and it's just like, it's, it's, it's surprisingly varied and actually some, some of the mini levels are actually pretty fun yeah. um, and interesting, but that was kind of a, a, a cool little thing they added. And, and one of the things they praised about the game, um, I most recently, so I, I play these growing up, but I, I feel like a lot of these games I've been talking about recently are like very formative games for me. 
and Spyro. I played all three of them multiple times. Absolutely loved them growing up on the original PlayStation. And then they, when they recently released back in November of 2018, so about a year and a half ago, um, a remastering called the Reignited Trilogy of the first three games for like the PS4, Xbox One, and then ultimately also on the Switch and Windows. Um, I got freaking excited. Like all, all these things, like the Crash Bandicoot, um, Insane Trilogy, and Crash Team Racing, um, Nitro Fuel, Nitro something. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah. Either way, they're they're, they're reliving my PlayStation um, childhood, and it is freaking fantastic, and it looks incredible. So I just recently. 108%ed um, <laughs> Spyro You're the Dragon. That's mathematically impossible. <laughs> but I respect that they did that. Yeah, so I, once you 100% complete it, you unlock these bonus levels. And then everything you're doing in these bonus levels just goes above 100%. So I'm not even complete with all the bonus level stuff, but I'm at 108% right now. It's kind of triggering, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah it did bother me a little bit. But uh, but feels good to be like, I'm at 108%. That's how good I am. feels super good. But the game was just... I, I just wanted so badly. Like, it was satisfying to find all of the secrets and all of the levels um, and do the different challenges. A couple of them were annoying, um, but after three or four tries, you, you kind of get and you figure out what you have to do. But it was it was challenging enough that you wanted to keep going, but not too challenging that you got tired and wanted to put the game down and it, and it mm-hmm. innovated enough um, that, that you wanted to keep playing. Um, a couple cool technology things that Insomniac Games added for Year of the Dragon. Um, they added auto-challenge tuning, um, which essentially kind of judges how well you are doing and adjusts difficulty on the fly um, to help keep the gameplay curve like fair and accessible to a lot of people. So if you start dying at the same place a bunch, they will tone the difficulty down to help you progress and get through so you don't get too frustrated and just leave it down. Um, which is pretty cool. I mean, you, some purists might be kind of upset by that and be like, no, I, I want the challenge. And, and I don't know if, off the top of my head if there was a toggle for that in a menu if, if you wanted to be a purist and just try The, the purist toggle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, truly. Just purist, yes, no. Um, yeah, that would be like in a Dark Souls type game, that would be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I, Dar- I mean, Dark Souls does auto challenge tuning. It just makes it harder when you fail. <laughs> I mean that, yeah, that is true. <laughs> Automatically making it harder. <laughs> yeah, they, they punish you for failure, and Spyro. I mean, I wouldn't say rewarding you, but but they do help you through a little bit, which is kind of cool. What are? I have not played Spyro at all, which I know you know, but now you know as well. <laughs> Use a pronoun there. Phenomenal. What are the challenges in it? I mean, falling off the map. I mean, I, like I, you know, I know Mario, right? So is it like, are there just Goomba equivalents that are running around trying to run into you? Or? Yeah. So, so every game level has different enemies that have different move sets, and sometimes there's visual cues. So Spyro has a charge ability where he's like running and ramming into you with his horns. Um, there is a he has flame. Um, he can fly and glide. He has like a jump and ground pound type thing. And different enemies require different things. Like some of them are immune to flames and you'll see that they're wearing like a silver armor sometimes. Kind of gives you the visual cue that they can't be flamed. Um, sometimes larger enemies um, can't be charged. Um, sometimes they have different shields. So trying to figure out like their move of like when they're going to kind of 
uh, telegraph that they're going to do something and trying to avoid it or knowing what the range of like your flame breath is and stuff and oftentimes it'll be like there's an enemy like on a platform that you have to jump to and they are going to hit you before you land so you have uh, to figure out how you're going to either like charge midair or flame midair um so yeah so, so different levels so there's the actual platforming part of like knowing where to glide and how to glide successfully sometimes precision there's underwater sections um but yeah, the, the enemy types are just are varied. There's just there's a lot of combat variety in the game. Um, do they do a central hub like? Yeah, Mario? so the, there's there's three or four main like hub worlds, and each of those worlds have a bunch of gems and eggs to find. And then each of those worlds has like seven or eight um, game play levels. Okay. So like the hub world is a level in of itself. Not often, if ever, with enemies in it. I see. Um, yeah, just like a safe but, zone to collect stuff. Yeah. And then you can branch out similar to the paintings or pictures, whatever you want to call yeah. them, in Mario 64. Exactly. So so that was pretty fun. There are also there, there are thieves in the game um, that just run around kind of a track-like area. They, they follow a path in a level, and you have to charge and chase after them, and you kind of have to flawlessly navigate the track in order to catch them. They're, like, just slightly slower than you. I see. Um, so you kind of learn those things. And then there's there's different power-ups for certain things. It uh, it, it can get pretty in-depth. It, it definitely borrows a lot of things from, like, what you'd expect in a Mario game, like the different power-ups and, and the different types of enemies and stuff, but um, pr- pretty varied for sure. Bosses? And, yep, yeah, there's... Um, Two, two or three bosses, which are kind of like these like upgraded henchmen monster things that have a from the sorceress that have different move sets, um, and there's different ways that you fight them. So each of the additional characters, like the kangaroo, the penguin, and the monkey, um, there's also a yeti. I forgot about that. His big club, um, which is, is super cool. So each one of them helps you um, fight one of the bosses. So there's the three bosses and then the sorceress. And so the first one, the kangaroo helps you with. The second one, the penguin, then the yeti, and then the monkey. Um, the so laser the, pistol monkey. Yeah, yeah. And you get these like little uh, kind of tank things to like shoot the sorceress with, and yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, no, the, there's like. It sounds like they yeah, a lot of extra like little knickknacks or whatever you want to call them in the game. Yeah, and like the some of the mini game challenge levels, like here, there's like a hovercraft like battle where you have to like fight these different things like one of them as the yeti you're like kind of playing whack-a-mole but you have a time limit to do it and there's also these things you can't hit they're like these little gnome wizards that if you hit you like instantly fail was honestly one of the more difficult challenges i got really frustrated it's the only one i remember like rage quitting and then coming back to and yeah getting on almost my first try is one of those that it's just i wasn't in the right headspace um the first time challenge but yeah, lots of variation. I if you're only going to play one Spyro game, um, Year of the Dragon, the, the story that there's not enough like follow through that you're going to miss out and like not understand the story from the previous ones. Um, and yeah, so if you're only going to play one, Year of the Dragon is definitely the most perfected. Has the most variety. Um, is a lot of fun, and I mean obviously. If you're going to play it nowadays, you're probably going to pick up the Reignited Trilogy, which has all three of them. You can kind of get a taste um, for each one of them. But, yeah, pretty cool. Additional um, technology is in, in something that you're the dragon, not necessarily famous for, but they kind of had an innovative way to deal with crack protection um, for the game. Crack protection? 
Yeah, so like uh, hacking the, the software. Oh, okay. So, yes, so there's copy protection and crack protection. Um, copy protection is uh, PlayStation discs um, use a very um, proprietary way of burning the discs yeah. um, that you can't do unless you have a PlayStation burner. So, and the, it's it's built into every PlayStation console um, to, to read the disc so it can instantly tell you can't just put a normal CD-ROM in there. Oh uh, yeah. So it's not even just like the encoding on the disc. It's like how the whole format of them writing to it in yeah. the first place is unique. That's yeah. interesting. So, so that, that's like the copy protection. Then the crack protection is actually like built into like hacking the game and using checksums and all those kind of things. And they went through a bunch of different ways. They could have like looked for the checksums or looked for the boot drive and like check that. But all these things had like a certain cost, um, whether it be that it would like take add like 10 seconds to the loading time of each level or um, something like that. And ultimately what they came up with is like these multiple checksums that are, so each check has multiple checksums that goes across different functions and is in each function multiple times. And it's not in like just one function that someone could find and then turn off. So that they're overlapping and they're crisscrossing checksums. You can't search for them, um, and it's just it's it's and they're constantly checking for it. So you, you change any one thing, and one of the checksums is probably going to break. But but the most interesting thing about it was that they they made it so that the game wouldn't instantly break or obviously break. Um, when when they discovered that a hack had happened and and the whole goal of any anti-cracking anti-hacking like anti-copying software is just to delay the breaking of the game um, by hackers because it is always inevitable but the more sales you can get before the game is successfully pirated obviously the more money you make um and there's some stats that like 30 to 50 percent of game sales happen in the first two months of release um so that's like a, a great window if you can protect it and even now like getting it to two weeks is like, that's a great success story. Um, and they, they, I think they were able to actually get it out to the two months. But what would happen is a, a, a hacker would um, fix, like chit, break one of the checksums or the, the copying and they'd be like, okay. And they'd, they'd pop the game in, they start playing, be like, okay, it's good. And then they would release the hack. And what would happen is throughout the game, it would like break in little ways, like eggs would glitch out. Like you try, you get an egg, but the egg wouldn't add to your total. Or sometimes you'd get really far into the game, and then it would either it would it would crash intermittently, or like all of your eggs, it would just like boop. Like the next time you boot up, it is just all gone. Or like it would load a level, and you'd load like you'd go into one level, actually be a different level. Like the, the way they crisscross it is like it. The game ran sure, but you, you you couldn't beat it, and depending on the level of the hack, it, it would be like how far you got into the game. So kind of tricking hackers into thinking they successfully hacked the game, and then when they figured out they didn't, they wouldn't know what part to check yeah. to be like, okay, now I need to work on this. Um, really delayed the hacker. So it was just, it was, yeah, just That's kind cool. of a, a fun, fun little Easter egg fun thing in there, but fun. I, <laughs> I too have a fun fact. Courtesy yeah. of yeah, courtesy of Adam, which I'm pretty sure I told you this, literally this weekend. But the soundtrack, oh no, I knew this, <laughs> was made by Stuart Copeland, also known as the drummer of the Police. Yeah, so, and the soundtrack is fire. Yeah, that is a reliable thing that is mentioned, which I guess maybe is just the mark of an OP platformer. 
Because Koji Kondo, I mean, Koji Kondo <laughs> is absolutely nutter butter insane. Uh, talk about a man that really ooh, pulls my heartstrings in all the right directions. So, yeah, I have heard only positive things about the soundtrack, and what I have heard, I mean, agree, it is it is a great soundtrack for sure. So, yeah, and Stuart Copeland wrote the soundtrack for all three of the original Spyro games, and which is just super interesting in his time after the break from the police he like did some movie soundtracks and stuff as well like went deep in but he talked about his process of writing the soundtrack for the game which is likely very similar to how a lot of music game composers do it but he would play the level before writing the soundtrack to try and understand what the vibe and what he would think um and he was working on like trying to make the music varied in a way that like the player would never get tired or it wouldn't be too repetitive they wouldn't they wouldn't hear it constantly um in their head but yeah i I think you did a phenomenal job Uh, yeah as we've said yeah just unanimous consensus from all my my spyro friends is just the soundtrack is soundtrack is something to be noted and talked about which is why we are talking about it and noting (laughs) it right now um yeah super fun so uh, overall critical reception specifically for year of the dragon um, and all the Spyro games, but Year of the Dragon, very positive. They praise the variety of the combat, adding the the new challengers. Um, graphically, it was very impressive for the PlayStation at the time. It was kind of the end of the PlayStation's life cycle. It's kind of typical for game consoles. The, for, the longer a developer has with both a game series and a, a game console, the better they are at optimizing for it. Um, but yeah, 91 out of 100 on Metacritic very well reviewed the the remaster didn't do quite as well on metacritic um i didn't really go into too many details because i don't really care what critics think of it now it's the same game just looks better yeah Um, but the the, it was the remake was developed by toys for bob um who is now actually um releasing a brand new not remastered crash game so crash bandicoot 4 um still just announced coming out this year running away from the same boulder (laughs) <laughs> yeah. new game same boulder oh the, the the trailer for the new crash tangent looks wily it's yeah like a, i'm 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 very interested to play it i was never a huge fan of the platforming of crash um it was just i don't know something it was it was a very difficult platformer seems very tedious and very like repetitive so you can figure out the little knickknacks of the map and maybe a little less of like I'm assuming, from what I've seen of Spyro, I mean, it seems kind of the same way, where it's like you are mastering Spyro's moveset, right? And, like, learning his capabilities and learning kind of when to see when to use his capabilities, where, same with Mario, right? Like, you learn, you know, how to do the, you know, quick turnaround so you get the extra move on your, like, air and the jump and stuff like that. So, playing Crash, the little I played when I played with you is just, like... All I got is the jump. So it's jump just, a spin. <laughs> yeah, so they just make it like exceptionally more annoying and more just tedious to go through. Like that's essentially I mean when you only have, you know, essentially what move and then two mechanics on top of that, yeah. like how else are you gonna throw difficulty in it other than making it more of just like a map based memorization challenge than anything. So I I remember the little I played a crash, it was definitely like Yeah, this is just this is tedious would be the first word I would use to describe it. Yeah, so the the good news is that the new trailer looks like there's a lot of different, like, moveset things and power-up 
and different characters you'd play as that I think will help kind of solve that problem. And as they went on, like Crash Bandicoot Warped definitely was a lot better than the first one. But the first one was just, I mean, just notorious for its difficulty as well. Yeah. Um, and in not a good way. Like, I mean, I guess, again, if you're a purist, like, yeah, beating it and feeling good about it. But it's just not like, it's not the fun kind of difficulty curve where you feel good mastering. It's like the frustrating where you're like, why, why are my inputs not equaling success yeah kind of like when guitar hero on an hd tv there's some lag and your inputs aren't equaling success and it's extremely frustrating but that was just a random idea of what could be frustrating though it wasn't yeah, pertaining yeah. to a real experience so but but yeah so so spyro you're the dragon that um sold over two million units um upon release um well well renowned is kind of one along with Crash uh, mascot for PlayStation. Good enough for a remaster. I think that speaks volumes already. Right? Yeah. So. Phenomenal. G- give it a look. So, on to the second game, Rise of the Tomb Raider. So second in the reboot trilogy. Um, first one being Tomb Raider, um, then Rise of the Tomb Raider, and then the most recent Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Um, and, and the trilogy the, with the reboot. Um, you don't start off in the first one with Laura Croft being this amazing swashbuckling like Nathan Drake perfect Tomb Raider. It's kind of the trilogy is her journey on to becoming this amazing um, Tomb Raider and kind of gaining her confidence. So in the first game she starts off like as you like have to kill people or do certain things it's like really kind of shaking her to her core. Um, and as a result of this, in the, in the second game, Rise of the Tomb Raider, she kind of starts off kind of experiencing some PTSD, trying to cope with some of the things that happened in the first game, um, and trying to become stronger. So Rise of the Tomb Raider, developed by Crystal Dynamics, released in November of 2015, um, and it was actually an Xbox timed exclusive, which I will circle back around to later because there's an important reason why it was um, but but going back to the story kind of picks up um, with with what happened and her trying to reckon with what happened in the first game she starts looking into her father's research um, on this lost city of Kitez I believe the pronunciation um, but she's interrupted by this trinity group which is essentially an ancient order of knights that have turned into this paramilitary group that are investigating the supernatural and are kind of after this totem this item and that's that's basically all you need to know is you are constantly fighting with the forces of trinity throughout the game searching for this lost city and this lost totem that has these unforetold ancient powers um that are kind of hinted at throughout the game and you don't really know some people say it does one thing some others say it does another thing and there's some twists and curves some betrayals um it it, honestly i I think a pretty decent story going forward without spoiling too much and what happens um but but a pretty good driving force and the advantage sometimes that a sequel can have um is that you take a lot of the criticisms and a lot of feedback you get from the first game and implement that and the the developers took that to heart with Rise of the Tomb Raider. So what they did, they reduced the number of quick time events um, because those aren't as immersive, trying to just create more truly combat-driven experiences. And they significantly expanded the actual tomb raiding aspect of it. So it, as a game being called Tomb Raider, now granted, it's understandable the first game, she's not a tomb raider yet. Um, 
So, I mean, an argument could kind of be made there, but they, they truly expanded it and incentivized it more. So in the previous game, you essentially just got experience, which was not needed to beat the game. But in Rise of the Tomb Raider, you actually got unique abilities and unique equipment that you could only get um, upon completing a tomb. And they were more diverse, more puzzles, more complex puzzles of water and like physical elements um, to actually raid the tomb, making the raiding of the tombs satisfying. Which, again, seems obvious in a Tomb Raider game, but Tomb Raider has always been about Laura Croft. Yeah. Um, who happens to be a Tomb Raider. But. So what does the... Like, I, again, haven't played this. What... I mean, what does the architecture look like? How how are they making it so you can... Op, is it optionally raid tombs? I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. So is it just like a side mission that you're running down? Is this an open world or... Yeah, like so a, a, kind of a mix of both. It's it's a loose open world. So most of these games take place in like a, a fixed world, like could be an island um, or an area of some ancient place and, and in this particular game there's a couple different settings um, but they're like kind of the open world hub worlds where you can kind of circle back around to places you've been and it's like no loading screen quote unquote you're kind of walking around and there's some more open areas where you can kind of explore how you want and do kind of non-linear quote-unquote gameplay um, but yeah a lot of the tombs I, I think there are a couple um, that are part of the main story in order to kind of introduce you to tombs and how to do the puzzle solving but oftentimes it's like kind of a cave or something off to the side that you can go do um, at which point you go in there and then there's like certain puzzles where you have you have a, a, a pretty diverse tool set at your disposal as Laura Croft and one of them is like with your arrow you can shoot at like certain objects and kind of attach a rope and pull them and mm. move different objects and interact to like spin wheels or chains. Um, but that, that's something that's praised a lot in the game is your diverse tool set, both from literal tools of like climbing, um, shooting the like rope arrows and stuff, but then also like your actual bow and arrow and your weapons um, are all upgradable. Oftentimes at different firing modes, you can craft like explosive arrows um, etc. And then the upgrade tree, you can upgrade combat, stealth, um, health and crafting and stuff. And there's crafting is a huge element, gathering resources. So they, they kind of fixed some of those things from the first game as well. But they, yeah, so it's, it's oftentimes optional kind of off to the side, but they tried to incentivize it better and make it more enjoyable and rewarding. Like it was something that you actually wanted to go do. Yeah. When did this game come out? Uh, 2015. Okay. Because, yeah, the I feel like interactability with the environment and kind of reducing limitations based on the fact that you are playing a video game is, I feel like, something that a lot of video games have been doing a lot more and I think is frequently a thing that people really praise within a video game. So I guess maybe a little less surprising given the recency of the game, but that is, like, a reason why GTA is loved, right? Is just you can quote-unquote do anything anytime anywhere right so that yeah. that is cool that the tool set sounds like very immersive and just like gives you a lot of like open room for imagination and trying to solve different puzzles i mean maybe there is only one solution but if you feel like you not fully came to it right <laughs> like it doesn't really matter if you feel like you legitimately came to it then it still feels just as good it doesn't really matter if they guided you there or not like it's yeah. just how you perceive it so and and at least to me so like in the uncharted series a lot of the puzzles were, were kind of baked into the story, which led to them being fairly easy to solve because they Follow don't want the to. Follow the yellow. 
Yeah, well, I mean, for climbing, for sure. Yeah, Everything's painted yellow in that game. You climb it, it's yellow. <laughs> That's all you got to know. You just keep running to the other yellow thing. Or it's like you, you turn this slot machine thing so that these symbols are matching what's on the wall. And it's like, that's not really a puzzle. Like, it, I just did this. <laughs> but but the, the tombs are actually, at least to me, maybe I'm dumb, but they're, they're pretty challenging. Um, and actually, like, you do have to think kind of problem solving. A couple of them I would have to come back to later or just never was able to solve and i tried not to look up the solutions to them yeah but yeah definitely pretty interesting i guess so now that i mentioned uncharted i'll kind of come back around to the xbox exclusivity so phil spencer um, now head of xbox um talked about they xbox didn't have a series like uncharted um, or really any series that's not halo um, but he didn't say that. I said that. Um, but but didn't have anything like Uncharted. Um, and so they were, Microsoft gave a lot of support to uh, Crystal Dynamics in the 2013 original reboot game, Tomb Raider. Um, and as a result of that, Crystal Dynamics kind of awarded Microsoft the exclusivity um, to kind of give Xbox owners like something like Uncharted that they could kind of have and kind of claim as their own and, and be kind of a reason like if you're really into the tomb raider series and you don't have a console right now like now you're going to buy an xbox so that you can get access yeah. to it um right away so it, it was a lot of people did not like that timed exclusivity um and i think it's a thing that's just really not well regarded in the gaming industry is timed exclusives but it, it happens frequently um and sometimes it's just a result of development time like you develop for this first and you're just not done with this yet and like switch the switch is always the last thing people develop for now because it's hard yeah <laughs> but but yeah so so that that was the the and there are a lot of similarities and parallels between the uncharted game um but it, overall i mean the series i think is very strong um a lot of fun it, so they they introduced a concept they called ominous beauty when they were developing the world in this and it was to reflect um the kind of distorted state of laura croft's mind um and they used a lot of vibrant colors in the game and kind of really took the actual game design the level design um as kind of a setting the stage for the game it was kind of a, a main centerpiece of it and they the developers actually went out to a lot of exotic real world locations um to get the inspiration and make sure that they were kind of being accurate and true to life um so that was pretty cool as well um overall it got 86 out of 100 on metacritic um pr pretty solid um i so far i i've started to play shadow of the tomb raider and kind of set it down it got kind of that typical like it feels like another tomb raider game there wasn't a whole lot more going on um so i i just kind of dropped it off so so far rise of the tomb raider is by far my favorite in the series um it sold over a million copies in the first like two months that it was released and then after two years of being out it had kind of over seven million copies so it yeah. sold pretty yeah, really well. well um but yeah, especially the one million copies when it was only out on Xbox is also kind of a nice little feather in their cap right there. But, I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's Rise of the Tomb Raider. Phenomenal game. Um, bo both of these are, are super strong. Um, 
it, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Spyro, Spyro is my winner. Um, a, a lot of reasons for it. Again, I have that nostalgia factor as well. It was, it was a game that means a lot to me personally. Um, but just as a platformer, like when a game makes me just so badly want to 100% complete it, that is like, that, that is the mark of a great game to me. Like it, the, the game that wants, makes you want to keep playing it. That, yeah. That's all any yeah, game should be. It's a good game. Yeah. And also, 0% shocking from. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a spiral boy. You know? Sorry, spiral boy. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Top 50 Showdown, Episode 7. Thank you guys so much for listening. Any comments, questions, concerns, please, we would love to hear them. So just let us know below in the comment sections or contact us via our socials. Hope you have a phenomenal day. Juicy.